The content and opinions expressed in this podcast are for informational and entertainment purposes only. You should not construe any such information or other material as legal tax, investment, financial, or other advice. Investing in sports cards carries substantial risk of loss and is not suitable for everyone. It would be great if our opinions were always right, but they are not, which is why they are opinions. This means that you shouldn't act on our opinions without doing your own research and assessing your own financial situation and risk tolerance. In short, you should make your own decisions that are best suited for you. By using our services, you agree that the 615 collector and its agents will not be liable for the results of any investment decision made or action taken by you and others based on news information, opinions, or any other material published through our services. We rely on various sources of information and data that we believe to be accurate and reliable, but we can't guarantee their accuracy or reliability, and we don't make any claims or representations about the accuracy, completeness, or reliability of data, information, and opinions provided through our services. Greetings, fellow sports card enthusiasts. This is the 615 Collector. My name is Doug Turner. And I'm Brennan Turner. And we are your hosts of a new podcast that's dedicated to the world of sports cards. And we'll be coming to you once a week to start each Friday. And we may increase the frequency over time. Um, We're also going to use other mediums like YouTube, Instagram, Facebook, as well as our website, which is www.the615collector.com to distribute our content. So, Check us out in those channels as well. Our goal is to provide you with valuable content that you'll help increase your expertise in the hobby as well as hopefully grow the sentimental as well as the financial value of your collection and all while hopefully having a lot of fun along the way. Why the 615 collector? I'm glad you asked. That didn't sound planned at all. But seriously, yes, the name essentially comes from where we are located. It's the area code for Nashville, Tennessee. And that's where we're based. And so you can probably tell by now my degree is not in marketing, but we do like the name. And so that's what we're going with. A little bit about us. uh, You might have noticed, yes, we do share the same last name. And yes, we are related. Brandon's my son. And that would make me his dad, which is great. That's kind of the essence of the hobby. And we couldn't be more excited to begin this venture and go on the journey with each other as well as with all of you. And so a little background or a little more background, I guess, on us. First of all, I'm old, he's young. So, you know, hopefully we bring some different perspectives on things in that regard. And then also thought we'd share with you a little bit about who our favorite teams are in various sports so that, you know, when we're being homers and talking about players or, or teams that uh, we like. So I, I grew up in Oregon but my family, my dad, and pretty much all my family is from the Denver area. So I was born with blue and orange blood running through my veins. So I'm a diehard Denver Bronco fan, which hasn't been bad until the last five years or so. That's It's been painful. But And then on the baseball side, uh, there wasn't a, the Rockies didn't exist when I grew up. So I do like the Rockies now, but my team has always been the Los Angeles Dodgers. Um, much of the chagrin of my dad, who was a Yankees fan. Uh, when he grew up. And then on the hockey side, uh, we're in Nashville. Nashville got a new hockey team. That's been several years ago now, but so we're big fans of the Nashville Predators. I think I can speak for both of us when I say that. And then on the basketball side, I'm probably the guy that most people hate because didn't really have a team. So I kind of was a front runner. Uh, That was in large part. If you think about, I grew up during the Jordan era. So I was a big fan of the Chicago Bulls. And then, and, you know, I, I liked the nuggets, but they were never really all that great. So it was kind of difficult to get into them too much. So I followed the bulls a lot. And then recently uh, I've been a fan of the golden state warriors. I'm a 
I like shooters. I like guys that can shoot. That's what, what, what my specialty was when I played back in school, high school, that is. And so I like the splash, the easy for me to say, the splash bros of Stephen Curry and Clay Thompson with the Warriors. So probably follow them more than any other team now. Brandon, how about for yourself? Yeah. Uh, so for football, for me, um, I like Denver, but uh, being born in Nashville, I have a bit more connection to the city. So I tend to be more of a Titans fan, although I do like both. Um, as far as baseball goes, I'm also a Dodgers fan. Um, I really just picked that up from you. Which has always surprised me because I, I always, you've said that before, and I picked you to be a Cincinnati Reds fan. Yeah, I like Cincinnati, but I just, I really just like them because I like Joey Votto. So he's a good one to like. So yeah, I like, like them, but like they're not really my team. Um, as far as hockey, like you kind of said, uh, Predators were from Nashville. So love the Predators. And then as far as basketball goes, uh, big Miami Heat fan. Which comes from where? Uh, yeah, so I I have really no connection to Florida, really no connection to South Beach. But, I mean, there's no NBA team in Nashville. The closest yeah. thing we have is Memphis. And I like Memphis. But, um, to be honest, I, I latched on to Miami a lot quicker, a lot easier. Um, I really just like how they run things down there. I like, like the organi organization. I like the players. I uh, like Coach Spo. I like Pat Riley. Um, I really like the culture that they got going down there. So, so did you like them during their championship years with LeBron and Dwayne Wade and those guys? Oh yeah, yeah. No, I love Dwayne Wade. Yeah, those are those are those were some really good games then for sure. Yeah, yeah. And that's yeah, that is the cool thing. I know for those listening out there, I can attest. Brandon is a huge basketball fan. What I think is cool about it is you, you know, you're, you're not only are you watching all the current games and current players, but you go back. Anytime you get a chance when you're not at school or working or whatever, you, you like to go back and watch games from the era before your time as well. So you've seen exactly. some of the you've watched what you like. You've seen some of the, like Charles my, Barkley and Michael Jordan games, and that yeah. the era of, of. Yeah. Have you even gone back further, like to see like Dr. J, Kareem Abdul-Jabbar? Like a little a lot bit. Of those. Yeah. Yeah. That's cool. Um, well, so a little more about us and uh, kind of why, how, how we got here and why we decided to do this, uh, do a podcast in the collecting space. My day job is within investment and wealth management. And I've found that my you know, experience and expertise has served me well in the collectible space. Been collecting all my life, which is more years than I care to admit. And probably have, I don't know, gosh, ten, I'd say tens of thousands of cards, mostly in sets and waxed but i also have probably i don't know maybe a thousand slabs give or take from a lot of the major grading companies most are probably psa but i've got some bgs and sgc and then a handful of others as well and it's everything from vintage to ultra modern and across all the sports football basketball baseball even got tennis golf hockey and some other miscellaneous cards like star wars the the marvel you know entertainment one you know movie celebrity cards all that kind of stuff and so over the years I've seen the collectible market grow and evolve, and it shares a lot of similarities with the financial and investment world. And I think that's only going to continue as investors become more and more comfortable with viewing sports cards as an alternative asset. And I've long felt it was a matter of time before these two worlds collide, and that seems to be happening a lot more and more of late. So that's a little bit about me, Brandon. How about for you? Oh, uh, yeah. Uh, I'm in college. So I'm like, I'm 20 years old. Um, I started collecting as a kid, though I will say this right now, I'm not really like a big collector. I'm still kind of new to the space. Um, so that's that expertise is more my dad. Um, but I did. I do have a card collection. Uh, like I said, I started collecting as a kid. My dad, he coached my baseball, my basketball teams. And after games, he would hand out uh, packs of cards. So 
I kind of built up a bit of a collection with that. Um, I also had a big interest in Pokemon as a kid, so I had like a bunch of Pokemon cards. Um, but that was really more, I haven't really like even like looked into that in a while. So it's yeah. like, it's going to be like a bunch of old stuff. So I don't really know what's going on with that anymore, but I have a lot of those. Yeah. You've um, got, you've got some good stuff. I was thinking about it. So yeah, we, buddy, my and I, that would coach our kids teams. We, it was mostly baseball and basketball and we would give away after games, sometimes practices, packs of cards, the kids, you know, had a good game, good effort, all that kind of stuff. And for those listening to give you context, that would be the years of like primarily like 2008 to 2012 timeframe. And so you think about those years and some of the rookies that came out in that time. So it was like Clayton Kershaw or Stephen Curry, Mike Trout, uh, Bryce Harper. Those were kind of some of the big names. So, yeah, we we've joked about that, thinking about the kids that are probably running around with very valuable rookie cards of some of those players that we handed out during that time and may not even know what they have. But um but yeah, it's good. Brandon's going to bring a lot of uh, basketball experience. I love, uh, I love playing basketball. I love watching basketball. Yeah, absolutely. I think that's, I'm kind of here as the basketball guy a little bit. I have no, no question about that. So we're looking forward to meeting new people, building relationships within the community, and hopefully we're able to expand our reach and introduce new people to the hobby as well. A couple of things, by the way, this should be a family-friendly show. So hopefully if you've got kids they'll be able to tune in as well if they would like and then a couple other quick things about our philosophy so one that i think is important it's worth noting is that we are going to maintain our independence we're very intentional about that so that you can rest assured that our opinions and our advice the content we provide it hasn't been filtered censored paid for by anyone else it's genuine it may be not be right it may be wrong hopefully we'll be right more than we're wrong but nonetheless it will be genuine regardless of the outcome of that. And I've seen the influence and the bias in some of the social media outlets and also just within the industry in general. And while, you know, I'm not sort of saying anything bad about any of those groups because I'm part of a lot of those groups and those communities. I like them. I believe the people involved with them are honest and have integrity and whatnot uh, and are for the most part, good people. But the reality of it is I've, I've seen firsthand where collectors, investors don't necessarily get the full picture because information might get censored or it might not get put, you know, made available to everyone that's part of a group because maybe it shines the light on a competitor of someone that would be, that's sponsoring that particular outlet. And we feel like that collectors, investors should get they should get unbiased information and, and be able to hear all sides of a story. That's what we're going to do. We're not sponsored by anyone, so we can just call it like we see it. If we see an opportunity, we'll let you know about it. And if we see something that's not right, we'll let you know about that as well. Kind of give you everything you need to make decisions for yourself without having to worry about what's effectively in the paid influencers, right? That's why they call them that. Their job is literally to try to influence you to buy products and service where they have a vested interest. That will not be the case with us. If we recommend something, it's because we genuinely believe in it. And in that regard, we will eat our own cooking. We do believe in that as well. So I know sometimes people might think of that as a pump and dump. That will not be the case. We're not going to do any pump and dump. We will let you know if we're saying, hey, we think something's, you know, we buy this or that if we own it. And we're never, you know, we're not going to go contrary to our own advice. That's what I would see as a pump and dump. Rather, we see it as we eat our own cooking. So if we, we're not going to tell you to do anything that we wouldn't do otherwise ourselves. And we're going to hopefully be able to share those experiences with you so you can benefit from our successes as well as any mistakes that we make. And one other couple other things I'll mention about what I think will make us a little different from maybe some of the other podcasts or content producers that are out there is that 
a lot of times there's a tendency maybe to focus on the really high dollar value cards. In this day and age, there's a lot of cards selling for a lot of money. And the reality of it is though, is that most collectors, most investors are not able to, you know, put down five, 10, 20, a hundred thousand dollars on a card. They just don't have the resources to be able to do that. And so we're going to have a focus on the whole space. And so we will, if we see where there's a player that we like, and that player might have rookie cards that are selling for thousands of dollars, but maybe there's some other more inexpensive cards of that player for, you know, a hundred bucks or something like that. We're going to highlight that and point that out. So it's not just necessarily focusing on, on the big stuff. Also, it's not just a flippers mentality for us. We are collectors and long-term investors. Now we will try, if we see opportunities for a short-term gain or an opportunity in the short-term, we'll certainly point that out. But for the most part, we probably take a little bit of a longer-term view or at least a a medium-term view, I would say, to a long-term view on a lot of this stuff. Because the facts are that for a lot of those guys that are flipping stuff, a lot of them, they're in the business, they're in the industry, they have card shops or online shops or breaking companies or whatever. And so, and a lot of times they're getting product at wholesale, you know, maybe 30 to 60% of retail value. And so they're able to flip stuff a lot easier and make profits a lot easier than your normal guy in the industry can that's just buying retail and, and coming at it from that perspective. But also, you know, a lot of those guys have connections, they've got established sort of outlets to do the buying and selling. And that's not always the case with a lot of folks in the hobby. And so you may not be able, if you don't have those established connections, you're not necessarily going to be able to react as quickly. And then what I'd refer to as friction costs on buying and in in transacting. So buying and selling, whether it's commissions or sales tax or whatever it might be cost associated with transacting you know a lot of times those eat into the profits and kind of wipe out so if you buy a card for 100 bucks and you sell it for 120 bucks but you pay say 5 or 10% of the transaction on either side of that you're effectively breaking even and it and it doesn't make a ton of sense uh, now for someone else that like i said where their business is driven by volume and they're able to pick up those cards at you know less than 100% of comps or maybe at wholesale prices, then it's different for them. So anyway, so for us, we're going to try to have a focus that's a little wider and broader across everyone that, that's in the space. So I think that covers the background on us and, and what you can expect from our show. And so let's jump into the agenda for what we'll be covering today. On each podcast, we're going to give you a rundown of what we'll cover that day, what to expect. The format of these podcasts will be basically segments, and those will include, first of all, a review of the market trends, what's hot, what's cold in terms of players and cards, what we're buying, selling, what we think is overvalued, undervalued, all that kind of good stuff. We're going to call that segment film study because we're going to be in the in the film room watching tape on these players to figure out who, where the buys and sells are. And we couldn't come up with a better name for that. I feel like we need a better name. So if anyone's got a, if anyone's, yeah, well, if you got a better name, have suggestions, we're, we're all ears to it, let us know. And, and maybe we change it up and, and adopt the, the name that you provide for the next time. Then we're also going to have a segment that we call coaches corner. That's where we're going to do our best to help boost the knowledge of collectors in the space that listen to our show Sometimes guys that have been in the space for a while might take for granted that everyone and just to sort of assume everyone knows what they're talking about, but often that's not the case. Obviously, there's a lot of new people in the space or people that may have been in it and then got out of it for a while. They've come back to it. A lot of things have changed since they were in it last time. So 
We're going to focus and try to provide some information to help address that today. Our focus on that section is going to be on common acronyms used in the space. And then we'll do a quick calendar check, highlighting a lot of the important industry happenings each week, card shows, card releases, that kind of stuff. And then we're also going to have a segment called the halftime report. I think that's going to be an important one. That's where we're going to address any recent developments in the industry. Today, it'll be a little longer than normal because this is our first one. So we're going to go back a couple of weeks to try to get you caught up with everything that's been going on. But normally we would just address any recent developments since the last podcast. And so sometimes it can be tough to keep up with things, right? Go to all the different websites, all the different social media outlets, try to keep up with everything that's going on. Our goal is hopefully you can come listen to our show once a week, listen to that halftime report, kind of learn everything you need to know about what's been happening in the hobby that week. So, all right. And then the next one, the next segment we've got, I'm excited about, we're going to call the penalty box. That's a nod to, to hockey. And this is essentially our opportunity to rant and get on our soapbox. Brandon's got the privilege of doing that one today. I think he's got one planned for overreactions. Oh, yeah. So looking forward oh, yeah. to that. That'll be good. <laughs> We've got some other things in store for you as well. Uh, we'll do guest interviews. Uh, we'll have folks from professionals in the industry, reps of industry companies, athletes, coaches, some friends that are private collectors, you name it. We'll bring some interviews to you. We don't have any of those planned for today, but those will be coming in future shows. And then we know that a lot of folks are also heavily involved in fantasy leagues or DraftKings, things like that. So we're going to have what we call the fantasy corner, where we will do our best to help you make lineup decisions, find those good waiver wire gems, that type of thing. Again, we won't have time for that today because we got a lot of other stuff to cover today, but th that will be a segment in future shows. And then, of course, we will have a mailbag segment where we will answer your questions. Again, not today because it is our first podcast. And so we don't have anything in the mailbag, but hopefully in the future ones, you guys can send your questions in and we'll get those answered on the show. So a lot of good stuff planned. We hope you're going to enjoy it, find it informative and valuable in your collecting journey. And we're also open to suggestions. So feel free to let us know what you like, what you don't like, things you want to hear more about, that type of stuff. We love to hear from you. It is your show. We're all about doing whatever we can to make it better and more enjoyable and valuable for you. So let us know. All right. So with that, let's jump right in. The first segment we're going to do today is the halftime report. Brandon, take it away. All right, yeah. So there have been a lot of industry news of late. We'll try to move quickly through this, but we also want to be pretty thorough and bring you up to speed if you haven't kept up with all that's been going on. Since it's our first report, we'll spend a little more time than usual as we'll go back a few weeks to get you caught up. But going forward, uh, we'll just cover any recent news since our last podcast. So these segments should be shorter in the future. So with that being said, uh, we'll start. go ahead and start. PWCC brought back their monthly auction this month after they got kicked off of eBay. Yeah, so that was kind of obviously a few, what, maybe a couple months ago was big news when they got kicked off. Their director of business development, uh, I think his name is Jesse Craig, he got interviewed on another podcast that The Collectible puts out and may have made a bit of what I'd call a Freudian slip when he said that Big Brother wasn't watching him anymore. Uh, I, he was trying to, he was answering a question about it, about, you know, what positive comes from that. And he said, well, one of the things is Big Brother's not watching him. And I realized he was trying to, there were some positives that he, you know, was trying to, to say about that. But like I said, might've been a Freudian slip given the things that they were sort of accused of and does kind of beg the question. So who will be policing them? And I think he did a good job of answering that. You know, he did comment that shill bidding doesn't move the needle for him and doesn't really move their bottom line. That's not really true. I understand what he's trying to say there. The reality of it is their fees based on the percentage of the selling price. So the higher price that things sell for, then the greater fee they're going to take. But 
the reality of it is eBay has culpability for them being removed. And Mr. Craig did talk about the things they're going to try to do to regain confidence in the hobby and make sure that collectors and investors can have, you know, take comfort in that their auctions will be run properly. And so they've, he said they've hired a couple of outside third-party tech firms. He mentioned TechHeads and Traxium, basically a couple of firms that are going to oversee the auction and validate their results, make sure that there's a firewall on the bidding process so that people can't see max bids and different things like that. And it sounded like, you know, they're going to also publish those results uh, each month. And so they know the spotlight's going to be on them. It's going to be in their best interest to show that they've taken action to validate the, the auctions that they're going to have. And so looking forward to seeing how that goes and, and wish them the best of luck in, in their October auctions. I do like the format of PwC auctions. They've kind of historically separated them by sport, by year, and they stagger the end dates. I think it's well-organized, makes it easier for collectors to follow. You know, some auction houses will kind of mix everything together. So they've got vintage and modern stuff and maybe different sport, baseball and basketball. You're kind of jumping all around. And sometimes that can be hard to track and follow if you're bidding on different things. So maybe that's been a competitive advantage of theirs. I don't know. But let's face it, there's a lot of people that say they don't use or won't use PWCC. But the fact of the matter is PWCC has been one of the largest marketplaces in the hobby for a while. I think they did something like a couple hundred million in card sales in the last year. So there's somebody and obviously a lot of somebodies that are using them. I think obviously more people than are maybe willing to cop to it. So Moving on, the industry as a whole seen pretty broad coverage. There was uh, about a few weeks back, a Wall Street Journal article, as well as an Investor's Business Daily article, talked a little bit about some of the news related to fanatics and what's going on there. We'll touch on that in a minute. Then it even got into the Joe Rogan podcast where there was a guy he had on named Patrick Bet David. I guess his sort of claim to the space is that he owned a couple of Wayne Gretzky rookie cards, sold them both for about a million bucks a piece. Although I think one of them was the ones that sold for like a little over 3 million here in the, maybe that was about a year ago, six months ago, something like that. I don't recall, but anyway, but he was on the show and he gave Joe a top, a couple of cards. Actually, one was the tops Fauci card, which was the one where he was throwing out the first pitch. All time terrible first pitch. That was a really bad first pitch. It was pretty hilarious, That's but he gave him that card and then he gave him the tops Bernie Sanders card, which is the one where he's in the chair, I think with his big winter coat and gloves, I think it was the inauguration. And so gave him both of those cards and kind of that ended up striking a conversation about the sports card industry, which by the way, that podcast is really, really long. It's like three hours. I didn't realize that. I don't tricked into listening to it. Yeah. And I don't know if are all his podcasts that long. I really don't know, but I only tuned in because I heard there was going to be a segment on sports cards. I wanted to hear it. Literally, it wasn't until like the very last 15 minutes or something crazy like that. So anyway, all right, let's move on. What else we got? Yeah, there was the Rick Probstein video on Instagram with Bill Mastro. Yeah, this probably wasn't. This is this is highlights the underbelly of the hobby, not the greatest news. I'm not really sure what to think of this, to be honest with you. The only thing I will say here for those that don't know Bill Mastro was essentially a criminal in the industry. He served 20 months in prison. He was forced to pay about a quarter of a million dollar fine for essentially what amounted to scamming people. He doctored cards. And one of the ones that he became famous, or I should say infamous for, was trimming the, the Honus Wagner card. That was the one that I, I'm pretty sure it was the same one that just sold for $6.6 a little while back. And that, that card, I think, has sold a couple of times over the, past, over the last several years. But 
he was sort of one of the ones known that did the trimming on that. And there was a bunch of other offenses that he was accused of. So I, I don't know that it was the greatest look for the hobby to, to have a video on Instagram uh, with him being brought back in, but I guess everyone deserves a second chance. So whatever, but we'll, we'll just leave it at that and move on. What else we got? Uh, PSA announced a while back that they are caught up on regular service levels, and they also announced a price reduction for express orders dropping to $150 per card from $200 per card. Yeah, and remember that PSA doesn't put specific turnaround times on their service levels, so it's really more about the value of the card. And based, they publish what they call complete through dates, and based on that, it appears that the turnaround times for that express level, which is the one they lowered the price for, is around 30 days, give or take. And by the way, they also unveiled a pop report for game used bats for those that um, collect those. And we've been following the PSA pop reports for some time and they're complete through dates. And it is interesting as you follow those because you can see where their focus has been from week to week as they cycle through the different service levels. You know, they got the economy and the regular service complete and then their focus was value. And you could see the kind of divvy up value between ultra modern, modern and vintage and TCG, which is trading card game cards. And you could see they focused on sort of modern and ultra modern for a while to get those up through 2020. And then they, there's vintage focus for a few weeks and maybe back to modern. The last couple of weeks, their focus has been on TCG cards. And, but for the most part, it looks like they've got all of the 2020 submissions caught up. And so that all the service levels are now working on 2021 backlog and, and submissions. And I realize some guys are going to say, Hey, that's deceiving. I get it. It is a little bit because our understanding is group subs may not be included in those numbers. It may just be retail. And it's also based on when the order was entered in the system. So if you sent your cards in, say, in August of 2020, but they didn't enter it in the system until January of 2021, then it's considered a 2021 submission. And so it's from your perspective, it may not be, quote unquote, caught up the way they're reporting it in those numbers. But all of that said, they have made a lot of progress in clearing their backlog. And so Based on what they've made public about the packages they've received, the number of items, average number of items in, in the packages, as well as gains they've made in their daily grading capacity, I'm thinking that if all else was held equal, there's a good shot that they would get their backlog fully caught up within the next six months, give or take. Remember, they fully shut down in March of 2021, right towards the end of March. So they've got, if once they get the 2021 submissions, they effectively have about three months of backlog they have to get caught up. Uh, however, there are obviously a lot of unknowns associated with that. Uh, if they open up another service level before that backlog's fully cleared, that's obviously going to take long, longer to clear because some of their grading capacity will be focused on new subs and the opening of those service levels. I, I do think actually they might, my expectation, this is, I don't have any inside insider information on this, but I, I do expect they'll open another service level by year end. There's been a slowdown in activity, really. I, one thing I will highlight is there, they, you know, they got to a point where they were grading upwards of, I think, about 180, 190,000 cards per week, or at least that was the number that were being added to the POP report. And over the past week or two, that's really slowed down. And so I don't know if that's related to COVID. I don't know. Maybe they've had some graders out. Maybe it's vacations. Who knows? Or maybe TCG cards are taking them a little longer to grade because that is where their focus has been for the last few weeks, but they've dropped from, like I said, 180, 190,000 cards a week to about 135,000 cards over the past week. Now, as price points are concerned, some people speculated we're never going to see anything to submit again under a hundred bucks, but I've looked sort of watched a lot of the interviews Nat Turner's gave, given and 
he specifically stated he wants to get the price points back down. I think it's especially important for PSA. Remember, a big part of their business is set registries. And so people building those sets in the registries are going to need to get low value commons graded. So there's going to need to be an option for that. Nat Turner acknowledged that. And even for himself personally, he said that in one of the interviews he gave that he's got some low value commons that he wants to get graded to finish sets he's collecting. And but he's not going to do that at, you know, 100, 150 bucks a card or whatever. So I think they're going to come up with some kind of solution for that. Just don't know what that looks like. And by the way, some people might ask, so, you know, why do we care? I know some people don't necessarily care about grading. Others do. I think it's important for a couple of reasons. Obviously, one is if you do care about grading, you want to know when you might be getting your cards back. So that that's one part of it. The other part of it, though, is it's simple economics 101, right? It's supply and demand. I think trying to keep up with kind of knowing what's happening in terms of the volume of cards are being graded and where those cards are coming from is helpful because, you know, that then you know those cards are going to be coming back and potentially hitting the market. So to put this in perspective and give you some ideas and numbers we're talking about. So prior to 2020, they had they were grading about a million cards. It got up to I think two million, maybe slightly shy of three million cards per year. Then in 2020, that jumped to seven and a half million. And then in 2021, for the first three months until they shut down, it was a million per month. So on a pace of 12 million. And if you look at their pop report over the last few months, so at the beginning of August of this year, they had 34 million cards on that report. They now sit about two and a half months later at 36 million and probably going to 40 million in the next six months. So in just the last couple of months, they've added almost to about one, a little over 1.8 million. And so, and by the way, historically, if you look at how that broke down, over 50% of their pop report was baseball. But when you look at what they've done over the last several months, basketball is actually the higher percentage. 34% of the cards have been basketball versus 15% historically. And then that's followed by baseball at 23%, which is, you know, compared to over 50% historically, then football at 12, which has been 15 historically. And then TCG has had a big gain. TCG cards accounted for about 24% compared to about six percent historically so basketball and tcg have been re really where we we're seeing the volume think about that so over the next six to 12 months you're going to see several million cards come graded cards come back in the hands of collectors and investors and there's a good number of those cards that are going to hit the market i think that's a consideration that collectors investors need to be thinking about when they're thinking about what they want to uh add to their collection, what they might want to sell from their collection, that type of thing. So, all right, let's, let's move on. What do we got? What's next, Brandon? Yeah. Uh, SGC, another grading company said they're getting busier and so are resetting expectations for turnaround times. Previously they had a 20 to 25 business day turnaround time expectation and they were regularly turning things around faster than that. He said the current average is about 16 business days, but due to the increased volume, they are now increasing the expected turnaround time to 45 to 50 business days. Yeah, we've done some stuff with SGC this year, and, and we we our experience was about 14 business days was what we were getting things back in. They've done a pretty good job. It's, it sounds I've heard recently that that and so we we're right around that 16 day that, that Peter talked about. I, I think I've heard recently that might be getting closer to the 20 day turnaround time from different folks. So they just wanted it with PSA shut down and with, you know, what's happening at, at BGS, SGC is getting a lot of extra volume and trying to just get out in front of that set in, as opposed to raising prices, which is great. Cause I think a lot of people were concerned they might raise prices. So opposed to doing that, they're just trying to reset the expectations 
for what turnaround times might be. That said, it sounds like they're still able to hit that original 20 to 25 day time frame. But you know, in case they do get swamped, I mean, it's it's difficult for these companies, right? To, to so I know people will kind of jump down their backs on a lot of this stuff. But if you think about you're managing these companies like this. The, the volume that's coming in, it just, it's significant. And, and you also have to think long-term sustainability, right? So you can go out and try to hire, you know, a hundred more graders or a thousand more graders or whatever. But then if that volume doesn't sustain itself, then you're just going to have to turn around and lay all those people off. And so it, it's, it's challenging for them right now in terms of managing their business. And so they're having to use a lot of different levers and whether that's resetting expectations on turnaround times, whether that's pricing, whether it's limiting submissions, which is something another grading company's done, which we're about ready to talk about here. So yeah, why don't we jump into that? You've got some HGA news as well, right? Yeah, they released a video of their AI that got mixed reviews. And then a short time later, they announced a price increase of $5 across all service levels and a $10 increase on custom labels. They've also announced that they're now allowing minimum grades and are minimizing submissions so they can be caught up. Yeah, so they've started to fall behind a little bit. So they're trying to minimize, they apparently sounds like had some COVID issues. And so with staff that, that hurt their staffing and and so they're they're falling behind. And I know we've got some, we've done some cards with them, not a huge amount, nothing, no monster cards, but we like their custom slabs. They're cool, especially for some of the inserts. And like we said before, we want to eat our own cooking. So we're going to try them out. We're going to use them so we can share with you what our experience has been. So far, I know a lot of people have had different complaints about them. Our experience has been great. They've hit their turnaround times up to now. We do have some orders in that are now late. I've, I know the, the, one, the latest one we've got is about five or six business days late. I'm guessing that's going to end up being 10 to 15 business days late before we get that back, but which is not a huge deal from my perspective. But we've got some cards in with them now, but up to now, our experience has been good. They have caught some heat, though, as to whether or not they've got the proper expertise to authenticate the cards. So from a grading perspective, I think they've done a great job. Uh, we grade all our cards before we send them in. I think we've got feel pretty comfortable about our experience and expertise and being able to do that. And I will say that pretty much everything has come back exactly as I graded it going in. There's been a couple of things that I thought I should have got a 10 on that ended up getting a nine and a half. And we can talk at a later time about that because we've done some thorough analysis of their pop report. And there's also some differences in the grading scales between them and other companies. So that's a topic for another show. But I do think the one thing they're going to have to address is how they handle authentication, because that has become a bigger and bigger question for folks in the space. And especially when, as the industry's gotten as hot as it's gotten and the money that's involved, it just attracts bad actors. And there's a lot of scammers out there now trying to take advantage of of people. And so you have to be on the lookout for that. One of the reasons you use the grading companies is so they can authenticate the card and prove that the card's legitimate. And then other investors and collectors can feel comfortable that if they buy a card from that's graded by that company, that it is an authentic and, and legitimate card. So, all right, what else we got? Starstock, which is a popular marketplace to buy and sell sports cards, announced that they will now have the ability to send in cards for grading by the four major grading companies. Those are PSA, BGS, SGC, and CSG. So now collectors and investors can send their cards directly from Starstock to get graded, and then they could go back to Starstock and into your vault where you can sell them if you so choose. Yeah, you know, it's interesting that the, a lot of those marketplaces are becoming more popular now where you can just buy a card, send it directly into their vault, 
And then that allows you, when we were talking earlier about the ability to react quickly, that's really the only way you can do it. If you want to flip stuff or move stuff on a short-term basis, you almost have to have it with one of these kinds of companies where they can have it in their vault. And then in almost an instant, you can turn around and get it on their marketplace and try to get it sold. Because otherwise, if you got to ship a card in and then get it listed and all that, I mean, there can be a multi-week delay before a card gets listed and ultimately gets sold. So in order to react quickly and flip cards, you kind of have to use something like this. And so now they've got the ability to then turn around and send any raw cards that you might buy on their platform or have in their vault and get those graded and have it come back and allow you to then get those moved into the marketplace as, as quickly as possible, if that's something you, you would like to do. All right. Uh, in WNBA news, the Chicago Sky won the WNBA championship, which is their first in franchise history. They beat the Phoenix Mercury three games to one, which for those that don't know, the WNBA playoffs are best of five series. Yeah, which is different. NBA is, is best of seven and, and the, the WNBA is best of five. So like we said before, we're going to cover all the different sports. I actually think WNBA is really interesting. I think for sports card collectors, there's some interesting opportunities out there. Brittany Griner, I think, is one to watch. Uh, she actually played for the Phoenix. She's a center for the Phoenix Mercury. So they, they lost, but man, she had one heck of a series. And by the way, she's listed as six foot nine. Yeah. So she's huge. Yeah. It's crazy. She's, she's very tall. So, but that wasn't enough. Sylvia Falls. No. Go look at her. She <laughs> looks, she is like, really? Yeah. She is tough, man. Yeah. She looks super tough. Well, so she's, she's just one defensive player of the year. Yeah, I think I think Brittany, I, I forget what her point average was. I think she had something like 28 or 29 points in that final game of the series, but it wasn't enough. The storyline there a lot anyway is there obviously it was a team effort, but Candace Parker is kind of the, the more sort of notoriety name on the Chicago sky. She went back to her hometown team this this year. I think she came from moved from L.A., mm -hmm. um, but Chicago's her hometown, got her second WNBA title. And I think really cemented her leg legacy now. Uh, she's got two WNBA titles to go along with two NCAA titles when she played for the University of Tennessee. She's got uh, two Olympic gold medals. I think even won two regular season MVPs in the WNBA. And when you look at some of her cards, man, it's, it's they're kind of hard to find. So they're, she has a 2007 Sports Illustrated for Kids card out there. I, I like that one. I think that's a really interesting one and probably has some um, opportunity to increase in value. But it's got a really low pop count, at least as far as graded concerned. There's only six cards have been graded with PSA on that. But it is a card I would try to pick up. You can look at maybe getting it raw. Sometimes it's also sold within the sheet because those for those that don't know Sports Illustrated, they would have basically a page or a sheet within the magazine and there'd be nine cards on that sheet. So three by three and they'd be perforated. And so sometimes you can you can find and pick up the sheet, um, but also the card. But she's interesting. There isn't really a rookie card under sort of the traditional definitions. She has a 2008 Rittenhouse card. It's basically her rookie card. The reason it's not considered rookie traditionally is because it's an insert card. It's not part of the, the base set. That was basically a Rittenhouse had a, a 2008 rookies insert. But the PSA pop count on that one is like, I think 25 and it is a numbered card serial numbered to 4444 excuse me easy for me to say 444 is what it's serial numbered to so i've seen that one selling for in the two to three hundred dollar range but to be honest there's not a ton of sales on it so it's difficult to compare there's also an 08 rittenhouse autograph card but i've only found 
found one sale on that. And that was from quite a long time ago. So, and I haven't seen a graded version of that card. There's some press pass stuff that she's got in her college uniform, which like I mentioned is University of Tennessee. That stuff sells for around hundred bucks. I think there's some opportunity in Candace Parker cards. I don't have any right now, but that is one that I will be looking to pick up if I can find them. So, and there's some interesting plays in the WNBA, to be perfectly honest. So Panini debuted the Prism brand for the WNBA in 2020. If you want to own some wax, I think that's good wax to own. But then if you also want to rip some wax, there's some good rookies in that set. They include the cards of like Sabrina Ionescu. And that now Homer alert, right? I, where I, I went to University of Oregon. And so I am a duck quack quack and Sabrina played with the ducks before she got drafted by the New York Liberty in the WNBA and then her teammate on the ducks. So another Homer alert here is uh, Satu Sabali and she plays with the Dallas wings, but both of those two, their rookie cards are in that 2020 Panisi prism uh, set. And they actually, and both of them have done outstanding in their first couple of seasons. Obviously the first season was a little short due to the COVID stuff, but this past year also they've had outstanding starts to their career. And so I think there's some opportunity with both of those. That Sabrina card initially had a pretty big pop. It's come back down a little bit, but I think there's some long-term value there. And then you've got people like uh, Crystal Dangerfield. She won rookie of the year in 2020, but didn't actually have a card in the 2020 uh, Panini set. She's in the 2021 was her debut for the Panini Prism. And uh, she's with the Minnesota Lynx. So, but like this past year with Sabrina as an example, she led the league in assists per game. She averaged 14 points, five boards. So darn near a triple double, a few boards short of a triple double average. Her Panini Prism rookie card now is under a couple hundred bucks. It was upwards of 700 plus. I think it might even touched a thousand if I, if I recall, and then has a silver prism that's selling for around $500, give or take. And the, the Sabali card, the 2020 prism, those are under a hundred bucks for a PSA 10. And there's even some serial numbered parallels that you can get for under hundred bucks. So I think there's opportunity in some of those names. Then you also got names like Skylar Diggins-Smith and Brianna Turner, Allie Quigley. A lot of interesting opportunity, I believe, in the WNBA. But let's go ahead and move on. We'll talk about the elephant in the room now, which is Fanatics. Michael Rubin says several weeks ago now, but went on CNBC and effectively confirmed the many reports that were out there about their plan for the sports card market, which is essentially to be a monopoly. And he didn't use that word. That is my word, but it is effectively what they're doing. The way he described it is they want to create a complete collector's experience that'll include manufacturing and selling cards, insuring them, storing them, grading them, as well as a secondary marketplace to buy, sell, and trade cards. And so all that's great. It does raise, though, some concerns about potential conflicts of interest. I mean, if the company that's making the cards is also the one grading and selling them, you know, there are some potential conflicts there. But they also confirm that Josh Luber, who co-founded StockX, is going to be what they refer to as the chief vision officer. So sounds like he's going to be the guy kind of calling the shots and directing the strategy of the new venture. And then Ruben also didn't rule out the possibility. There's been speculation that they would buy some of the existing manufacturers, particularly Tops or Panini. And he didn't rule that out, said that they might acquire one of those. Upper Deck was another name that got mentioned, which is as a possibility. You know, there was nothing definitive, but just from a speculative standpoint, that was the first time that I've ever heard Upper Deck mentioned as, as a possibility. So, and then there's also been indications that they might purchase a sports book as they're, they want to be in the gaming space as well. So it's interesting. I, I don't know how I feel about that. I know there's probably people with different opinions and to be honest, probably 
have some reservations. I mean, my own personal experience when I've dealt with fanatics, they've been great to deal with, but at the same time, I think their prices have been a little high. And my only hope is that we don't end up pricing people out of the hobby. I think, I hope we learn for those that have been around for a while, we had a similar situation in the uh, mid late eighties and early nineties, and then had a big boom and the market ultimately crashed. We kind of priced a lot of people out and I hope we learn from those lessons of the past and, and don't do the, the same thing going forward. But surely they hopefully are smart enough to see that and can come up with the right mix and the right strategy to have a lot of continued success in the hobby. In addition to fanatics, I think it's interesting to watch PSA and watch Nat Turner in particular and what he's been doing because, you know, he does a lot of private equity investments. Obviously, they, it was the private equity firm that bought PSA. They turned around, they bought golden auctions. So they've got the auction part of it now. In some of the interviews, he's talked about, you know, the insurance and the and the storing, the vault type aspects of it, the secondary marketplace aspects of it. And when you look at his private equity investments that he's made public, I, I'm not sure how up to date some of this information is. There's a website that that he has out there that lists a lot of the active investments that he's in from a private equity standpoint. And a couple of the ones that I noticed that were on that list, one was Dibs which is a fractional share platform. They're a lot like Collectible or Otis or Rally Road for those familiar with those names. We'll talk a little bit more about that later. They've been raising capital of late, but then he also has one in Loop and that's becoming a more and more popular sports card marketplace. Best way I could describe it, if you haven't used it, probably somewhat similar to Whatnot, which is another one that's gaining in popularity. So some of those investments hint at maybe a similar strategy for PSA that uh, Fanatics has in terms of trying to build that overall experience, maybe except for without the, the card manufacturing, since that'll largely be going to Fanatics. But they both obviously be, appear to be on the same track. So it's going to be interesting to watch what they do and how that impacts the industry. And so that's something we'll be keeping an eye on. All right. What else we got? Yeah. On the fractional share front, Rally completed another fundraise, this time to the tune of $15 million for investors like Jimmy Kimmel, and Pawn Stars founder Brent Montgomery. Others and other investors included Kevin Durant's 35 Ventures, baseball star Chase Utley, John Stamos, and the founder of The Ringer, Bill Simmons. Yeah, I think there were several others in there as well. I mean, the list could go on, but yeah, these, these fractional share companies have gotten attracted a lot of uh, interesting investors into the space. And other fractional sharing is Collectible announced they are extending trading hours. So it used to be that there was a one hour window where you could trade cards that had been offered on their platform. And I think that got extended to a four hour window. Uh, but now it started October 12th, which was uh, last Tuesday, I believe. They will be opening up trading from 9.30 a.m. to 4 p.m. Eastern time, which is the same as the stock market hours. Yeah. And I, I think we've talked about these fractional or mentioned these fractional share platforms a couple of different times. I. I, I like them. Uh, collectible in particular, I think is really interesting. Um, I know some guys may not be as excited about it because obviously as a collector, you want to hold the physical card. But if you think about it in this day and age with kind of the vaults, the marketplace platforms we've talked about, whether it's Starstock or PWCC or Alt or some of the ones that are out there like that, a lot of times collectors aren't seeing their cards because they're buying them in a marketplace. They're going straight into a vault and then maybe coming out of the vault and back to be sold on the marketplace. And so a lot of times the only thing that collectors or investors will have will be kind of really nice digital pictures 
of their cards. And so, and it's not just flippers, there are other sort of longer term investors that are utilizing that model as well. So I think these fractional share platforms are interesting. I think they're gonna continue to gain in popularity. And I think for collectors, there's an interesting opportunity here because you know I know for myself, there's a lot of things that I'd love to own. I simply don't have the capital or the wealth to be able to do so. I can't just drop down a several hundred thousand dollars or a million dollars on, on cards. But with these platforms, you can now participate in that. As an example, and we've done some things, I've got some investments in three of the platforms we have utilized collectible uh, dibs as well as Otis. Done the most with collectible and probably dibs is second and then Otis third in terms of the number of things that we've done with them. But so I've able to pick up a part of the, the uh, Mickey Mantle uh, 1953 tops PSA, a Wayne Gretzky PSA nine, that's a 1979 OPC rookie, the OPC card there. And then my, one of my favorites is that I've wanted to have a part of for a long time is the 1980 Topps Ricky Henderson rookie card, which is a PSA 10. Those are very rare. I think the pop on that is something like 26 or something crazy. And there's several other high-end cards. They also do wax. Um, so as an example, I've got a part of the 1986 Fleer basketball hobby box, another uh, part of a 2000 playoff contenders hobby box. Those are the ones that contain the or we hope contain the Jordan and the Brady rookie cards. And they've got memorabilia. So picked up some Kobe things. These are all things that wouldn't be able to own otherwise because they'd just be simply too expensive or else it'd be too risky because it'd represent too high a percentage of my portfolio. But now you can do that. And I've always said that it takes money to make money. And often it's the more expensive cards that have the most upside. And so now with these platforms, if you know you see a monster card you'd like to participate in but can't afford to buy it yourself, well, then now you can own a part of it and participate in the growth of that or just enjoy owning a piece of iconic card or the wax or the memorabilia. And I really like the way in that regard Collectibles done it because you, there's a sort of portfolio tab within their app that you can go and you can see some really nice digital pictures of the, the things that you own in there. And, and so I, it's pretty cool. I like it. I think they're going to continue to do well and grow. So we'll, we plan to do a more detail. We don't have time to cover all of it today, but we do plan to do a more detailed review on these platforms in a future podcast. There are things you need to think about and consider and look out for before you invest. So liquidity being an example of one. Also valuation is another one you want to make sure. Sometimes the value on when they release things in these marketplaces might be higher than what it otherwise is in other marketplaces. So you got to look for that. There's some other things to look for. So we'll devote some time in upcoming podcasts, talk more about that. All right. I think that covers everything. So, yeah. so the halftime, first halftime report is Fini. And we can now move on to the next segment, which is film study. So this is like we said, this is where we're going to Look at who we're buying, who we're selling, what's hot, what's not, all that kind of good stuff. And so what do we got today? I think we're going to start today with the baseball playoffs. Yeah. So quick rundown of where we are currently uh, in our NL series. The Braves are up two games to none on the Dodgers and the Red Sox are up two games to one on the Astros. Yeah. And that's as of we're recording this, because the by the time this drops, uh, which will probably be tomorrow, they will have played another game. And so we'll, we'll see how those pan, they're both playing tonight. So we'll see how that goes. You know, the early results of the playoffs have been interesting players that I thought could have helped their hobby value in the playoffs were guys like Xander Bogarts, who I think probably has helped his hobby value. Bobby Dalbick is another one rookie with the Red Sox for teams that have already been knocked out, like the Rays, guys like Wander Franco or Randy Adders Arena. 
And then, you know, on the White Sox, you had several guys there, including Luis Robert, Eloy Jimenez, uh, Jose Abreu, Juan Moncada, or Yoan Moncada, I should say. On the Astros, who are still in it, I, you know, Jordan Alvarez is interesting. Kyle Tucker is having a great playoffs. And even someone like Jose Altuve now, I realize that 2017 cheating scandal, I think anyway, is, you know, kind of hurt the value of his cards. But he's he's had a great playoff, and when you look at his you know numbers, it's it's pretty interesting. Um, and then looking flipping to the NL side, really like guys like Austin Riley with the Braves. I think that's someone to 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 look out for an up and comer. Obviously, Freddie Freeman is just uh, we can talk more about that later. But but he's I think a criminally undervalued vet and likely hall of famer. Then you've got guys like Ozzy Albies, even someone like Max Fried. I know guys don't like pitchers, but you know, he's had a great season. And then we didn't get an opportunity to see Milwaukee beyond in the, in the NLCS. And again, most of the guys I would have been looking at for them were pitchers. So, you know, guys like Woodruff and Burns, I think are interesting. And even with the Dodgers, there, you know, a lot of pitchers, Scherzer, I think we'll talk more about him later, but um, Urias and Walker Bueller and um, they've got, you know, on the hitting side, guys like Trey Turner, fielding side, Mookie Betts, Cody Bellinger, Corey Seager, Justin Turner. I mean, they're loaded. So there's there's a lot of guys watching. A lot of guys, I think, offer some opportunity. Talking about a couple of them real quick now, if you look at someone like Trey Turner, I mean, the guy's 28, had a great season. He was only a couple home runs shy of being in the 30-30 club. He's a career 300 hitter. His cards have gotten a little bit of a bump. If you look at his 2016 tops rookie, PSA 10, it's now selling for, I think last one I saw was around 120 bucks. It was about a hundred bucks, give or take at the end of the season. So a little bit of a pop, but I'm not sure if you'll get a big spike in his cards or not, at least in the short term, but he is one that probably over the more medium term, I could see some upside value. And another guy's Mookie Betts. Now he, he didn't help his cause. He didn't have a great season. It was a bit of a down year. His cards reflect that. You look at his 2014 Bowman Chrome prospects card. It's a PSA 10. It's selling now for like $200 with the last I saw. That card was, you know, maybe a month or so ago up to 300. It spiked to $750 earlier this year. And we had that little bit of a bubble in the spring, March time, February, March, April time frame. The pop on that card is around 1600. And I think if that guy gets hot in the playoffs and you've seen the last few games, he started to perk up, do a little better. I could see the value of his cards picking back up again. That He's one that I would be interested in owning longer term. Uh, the Red Sox are the hot team right now. And I think an interesting guy for them is someone like J.D. Martinez. We already talked about Bogarts. Obviously, you've got Devers. Um, but I think a guy like J.D. Martinez is interesting. That's a guy doesn't get a lot of hobby love. But, man, he was injured, but he came back. He's hitting over 400 in the playoffs, had another home run last night. You can pick up his rookie cards for pretty cheap and high grade. 2011 was his rookie campaign. He's got a 2010 Bowman Chrome Prospects card, sells for less than 100 bucks. And you look at his career – Got 266 home runs, nearly 1,400 hits, a 290 batting average. He's hit over 307 in the last 10 years, 700 runs, 800 RBIs. Started with Houston, got released, went to Detroit. And ever since then, you know, he's just raked. And Boston picked him up in 18. He was a big contributor to their World Series that win that year over the Dodgers. He's now 34, so probably not going to get to that 500 home run club, but He's had really consistent, very high-level production for seven straight years, and as cheap as his cards are, I think he's an interesting one to look at. So, all right, what else we got? All right, yeah, we can touch on the MVP and the Cy Young race now. 
uh, so you want to start with MVP? Yeah. Oh, yeah. So, so uh, let's start with NL because I know Otani and like Vlad, that discussion is going to be a little bit longer. So we can sure. talk about the NL MVP. The front runners are, or maybe not. I don't know. <laughs> I mean, hey. Yeah. Uh, but the, yeah, the front runners for NL are going to be Harper and Soto. Yeah. I mean, it's interesting. Maybe a couple of months ago, Soto was probably the one I would have said pick to win it. But now it's flipped a little bit. If you look at the odds. And in, in that Vegas has put on this, they actually have Harper as the favorite with Soto second and then, of course, Tadis third. But, I mean, you look at those two guys, they both had fantastic seasons. And, and I think what's interesting about both of those guys is they both did it on 100-plus fewer at-bats than what most of the other categorical leaders had. And yet both of them rank among the leaders in all categories. So you think about that for a minute. So someone like Vlad, for example, on the AL side – he had over 600 at bats. You compare that Juan Soto had 502 to Vlad 604. Bryce Harper only had 488. And yet those guys, you know, Soto and Harper still put up production that puts them among the top categorical leaders and things like runs, RBIs, home runs, all that type of stuff. A big reason for that is the number of times they walk. Uh, those guys get walked a ton. Uh, Soto walked what? 145 times Harper hundred times. Like Harper has a 120 point difference between his batting average and his on base percentage. His batting average is 309. His on base is 429. Soto, his average 313 on base is 465. So almost 150 point difference. And I think that's amazing. You think if those guys, if they didn't walk as much, you think about the kind of production uh, those guys can have. And Harper, for his part, I think he is kind of like what I was saying about Freeman earlier. I think Harper is one of those that's just criminally undervalued in the hobby. You look at his 2012 was his rookie campaign. He came into the league at the age of 19 and he is now what I think he's 27, 28. I think he's 28 now. And he's already got uh, 267 home runs over 800 runs over 700 RBIs over a hundred stolen bases. He just put together one of the best years of his career, or at least since maybe the 2015 campaign. And so if he can stay healthy, I think that's a guy that's got a good shot at the 500 home run club. I think he's got obviously a really good shot at the hall of fame. And when you look at his 2012 tops rookie cards, he's, he has kind of a variety of different image variations, but you can pick up most of those uh, in PSA 10 for less than a couple hundred bucks. And even his 2011 Bowman Chrome in a PSA 10 can be picked up for less than $200. Now he does have an autograph version of that that does sell for around $2,000, but nonetheless, I think Harper represents a really good long-term value. And along those lines, since we're talking about Freddie Freeman, I do want to mention him as well, because you can pick up Freddie Freeman's 2011 Topps rookie card for under 200 bucks, which I also think is a great long-term value. But, but we've digressed. Let's move on. What else? Yeah, so you want to move on to Otani and Vlad? Yeah, so, I mean, look, this, this one's been well-debated over the past several weeks, and so probably not a ton of uh, additional things that we can add, but but I would say, I mean, when you look at the Vegas odds. That, those change. Yeah, they change. Good so Lord, negative, 10, minus, minus 10,000 odds for Otani. Yeah, for Otani. Um, and so what that means for those okay, that are we don't even need to talk about it. Yeah, it's well, like basically. what that means wow. for those that are not familiar, that means you would have to bet $10,000 to win a hundred bucks. That's and so nice. it's, it's pretty much, yeah, it's pretty much a lock that he's going to win it. Vlad, so we should do it. Those odds, yeah, right. No, those those odds were like 
you know, at minus 2000, uh, maybe a month or so ago, Vlad has gone up. I think he was plus 700 is now plus 1500. So what that means is if you bet a hundred, then you'd win 1500. So obviously Vegas is betting pretty hard that Otani is a lock on this. And I, and I think he has to be, I mean, if you look at Vlad, Vlad had a fantastic season. You can't take anything away from his season. Obviously his team didn't make the playoffs, nor did Otani's. Vlad didn't win the triple crown, nor did Otani. I get all that. Interesting that, but the two front runners didn't even make the playoffs. Yeah, yeah, that's really interesting to me. Yeah, is that normal? Um, you know, for baseball. Well, it's sort like of, yeah. Least, I know in the NBA, like winning is most of the time emphasized more than anything else. And yeah, like, you never see really an MVP who's like below six. Yeah. Well, it now was like even that six was Russell. The only six I think of was Russell Westbrook. And that was like an outlier because he, you know, he averaged the triple double. Yeah. I, I don't have the data That's in front of me, but I know like, in you know, Mike Trout's won it several years in the past. And I can't recall. I don't believe in each of those. I'm not sure that the Angels made the playoffs in each of those years that he won it. So I, I, I don't think it's probably as critical in baseball as it might be in other sports, but obviously it's certainly a, a part of it. Now, the reality of it is when you look at Otani, the guy is only, he's like a 10 tool guy. I mean, cause not only does he have the hitting, he's got the pitching as well. And I realize some guys on the hitting side will say, well, he doesn't have the batting average. And I get it. Like Vlad hit 311 and Otani hit 257, but the league average was down this year. So the league average was 247. So he still was 10 points above the league average, but Otani was also like, Harper and Soto, he walks a ton. So he, he just shy of a hundred walks. He had 96 walks. So his on base percentage is 372. So that's a full, almost 120 points higher than his batting average. So in comparison, Vlad's on base percentage is 401. So 401 to 372. So not as big of a difference between the two when you look at on base percentage and yet Otani's production is still pretty significant. 103 runs. What do you have? 46 home runs nearly hundred RBIs or excuse me, he did have a hundred RBIs, but he also had 26 stolen bases. I mean, so he was just a few stolen bases away. Well, I guess 14, but still not that far away from like the 40, 40 club, or at least the 40, 30 club. And there's not a lot of guys. In fact, in the 40, 40 club, I think there's only like four guys that have ever done that. And I think all of them, if not, or at least three of the four from the steroid era, it's like Conseco, A-Rod, Bonds, those guys, but even the 40-20 club puts him in the ranks of guys like Acuna Jr., Griffey Jr., those types of names. So Vlad had all the other stats. Now he didn't have the stolen bases. And then you have to factor in what Otani did in pitching because I realize some guys will talk about, well, you know, he doesn't even rank among the top categorical leaders. And a lot of that's because he didn't have the same number of innings. I mean, he pitched, now he pitched a lot of innings. He had 130, but obviously that doesn't compare to the like, you know, 180 to 200 plus innings that, that your kind of normal starters will get if they're healthy all year. But obviously that's because he's hitting as well as pitching. He's doing both. So he's not going to get as many innings, but still he had 23 starts over 60% of those were quality starts, which puts him in the same level as like a Max Scherzer, a Garrett Cole, a Corbin Burns. He's bet that's better than Kershaw. I mean, those are all guys that are in the conversation for the Cy Young. And then had a pretty low ERA, around 3.2, really low whip, uh, over 11 Ks per nine. And the guy went probably more important than anything. He went nine into nine wins, two losses, and he did that on a bad team. I mean, you think about the Angels. Otani had an 80% win rate when he pitched, and that was on a team 
that overall had a less than 50% win rate. They finished under 500 for the year, but yet were nine and two in games that he started and was the the pitcher of, of, of record for. So I think you have to, I mean, the reality of it is we haven't seen something like what Otani's been doing since Babe Ruth. And so I don't know how you couldn't give it to that guy this year. And obviously Vegas agrees. Now that's not to take anything away from Vlad. Vlad had a fantastic season, but, but Otani. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Ridiculous. And then, and look in the AL, I mean, you've hey. got, you've got other guys that, you know, let's not overlook guys like Bo Bichette. I mean, he had an outstanding year, but obviously got overshadowed by Vlad. He's on the same team. You also had a guy like Jose Ramirez, who I think, I mean, he quietly put together a, a really good year and he's quietly put together, frankly, a really nice career. Doesn't necessarily have the batting average, but he's been consistent in all the other categories. In fact, like Trey Turner, he was just three stolen bases shy of a 30-30 season this year. And oh, by the way, in the NL, I didn't mention, I think we said Tadis Jr. You know, had he not gone down with the injuries and been healthy all year, I think he's probably runs away. I don't know if maybe he doesn't run away, but I think he probably runs away with it, at least with the production he was producing before he went down because he ranked among the top three in terms of production per at bat. He was either first or third in virtually every category and only behind guys like Soto and Acuna Jr. or Joey Votto. You know, another name for Toronto, you think about Toronto's lineup, Teoscar Hernandez, he had an outstanding year as well. So that's another consideration. You got to look at Toronto's lineup was pretty good. That obviously benefits Vlad a little bit. I think Otani's lineup with Trout being out, that probably hurt Otani a little bit. You don't have as much protection as maybe Vlad was able to get in the lineup. Anyway, bottom line is, yeah, Otani's going to get that one. And as for cards are concerned, you know, I don't know that I'd be buying a lot of Otani stuff here. He's already had a pretty significant spike in value. I think you got to wait and see. Can he, if he can do what he did this year consistently for another year or two or more, then yes, I think there's upside in the value of his cards. But obviously a lot of guys are concerned whether he can keep that up without getting injured, knock on wood. So I think given the, how, pricey some of his stuff has got i think you kind of got to wait and see before you jump into some of his cards all right so yeah let's quickly move on to cy young and rookie of the year so just run through cy young real quick yeah so cy young in the al it's going to be robbie ray i think he runs away with it and you know you could make a case for someone like garrett cole but i think robbie ray runs away with it in the nl i think it's probably two horse race between scherzer and maybe corbin burns now personally, I think if you look at Scherzer, so Scherzer is another one of those guys. Again, I know nobody likes pitchers, but look at what this guy's done. He got traded to the Dodgers. He just keeps killing it year after year. He's approaching 200 wins in his career, 37 years old, and just put together probably one of his best seasons ever, at least statistically. And so I think some of his cards are pretty decent long-term investment. You look, 2008 was his rookie campaign. He's got a tops 2008 card. It's an updates and highlights card or in that set in PSA 10, it's got a pop count of about 1100. It's selling for around 750 bucks. It did have a huge spike over the last couple of months. So I would be mindful of that. It was around 250 bucks late last year that went up to about $500 a couple months ago. And then in the last month, obviously he's had pretty good playoff performance that spiked around 750 bucks. He does have an Allen and Gintner card uh, for 2008 that's more affordable. We talked about we'll, we'll share more affordable options. So that one is selling in PSA 10 for around, I think, 175 bucks, give or take. 
I think Scherzer though represents uh, one of those guys that is a, a really a decent long-term, maybe not short-term flip, but a decent long-term investment in the space. And he's one I'd want to own the, the at least the rookie cards of. So, and I, I think when you put those guys head to head, it's going to be close. I, I I don't know. I I would give Scherzer the nod, but honestly, I'm not sure who gets that. And then that's not even and. We could talk about guys like Zach Wheeler. We could talk about someone like Walker Bueller. In fact, Bueller, I think, actually had the better stat line than all of them. And then, you know, let's not forget Jacob, Jacob DeGrom, because if Jacob DeGrom stays healthy and keeps performing the way he was, I mean, he runs away with all of this. It's not even a conversation. That guy, before he went down, was putting together probably one of the top 10 best seasons ever for any pitcher. I think it's along the lines of what Bob Gibson did in 1968. You look at, he had an ERA of 1.08 and a whip of 0.55 with over 14 strikeouts per nine innings pitched. I mean, the guy was just absolutely lights out. So, now, right. rookie of the year. Yeah, rookie of the year. In the NL, again, I think it's going to Jonathan India, who's the second baseman for the Reds, probably runs away with it. You could certainly talk about someone like Dylan Carlson with the uh, outfielder with the with the uh, Cardinals. Now, on the AL side, closer race there. You know, it's tough. I think someone like Randy Arozarena, I like saying that name. He's an outfielder with the Rays. I think he probably takes it. But you've got guys like Ryan Mountcastle with, uh, with the Orioles. He had a great year. Bobby Dalbeck, we, we talked about before, with the Red Sox. And then, of course, Wonder Franco, who's off also with the Rays. Now, Franco wasn't up in the majors for the entire season. You know, had he been, then he's probably more in the mix of that. I, it probably goes to Arrows Arena. But, I, you know, Wonder Franco is one of the ones there longer term that I would hold. If you own his stuff, I would continue to hang on to that. All right, so let's switch gears and talk football. Everybody wants to talk QBs, so let's do a quick uh, QB review of guys currently in the NFL. But we're going to do it by their draft class. But given how many names that we want to review, we're going to do this in two parts. The first part today, we're going to cover the 2022, or sorry, excuse me, 2020 and 2021 draft classes. Yeah. And we'll cover all the other QBs in our next podcast. Yeah. So we'll start with the 2021 class. Um, obviously, you got Trevor Lawrence, Justin Fields. Zach Wilson, Mac Jones, those are probably the, the big four there. Look, uh, I know some guys are down on, on Lawrence and Fields. I personally would speculate on them. There's not a lot of graded stuff out there. The values of their stuff have come down. They're both on not great teams. And so I think it makes some sense. You can see some things in both of those guys where there's some potential promise for things to get better for them. So I mean, for me, I'd speculate on them again because their stuff's not crazy expensive and I'd take a shot. Now, Zach Wilson on the other hand, I would probably just hold his stuff. The Jets are a bad team and I think we've just seen too many examples where a bad team can ruin a quarterback's career. And and I, one example for me that's, uh, again, homer alert here is Marcus Mariota, uh, the or former Oregon Duck, got drafted by the Titans started came out of the shoot doing great and then i think the titans just ruined him they didn't have an offensive line that could protect him he got hurt they also tried to change his style up and keep him from running and you know compared to what you're seeing with guys like kyler murray and lamar jackson where the teams are letting them do their thing and play into their strengths you know the titans tried to get marcus to just stay in the pocket as opposed to use his strengths ultimately offensive line couldn't protect him he gets injured i think they ruined his career 
I think the same That's could so happen unfortunate for him not be letting Tannehill run. Yeah, well, and and I think it, and I think the same <laughs> like, thing could happen to Zach Wilson. On, no, I agree, and I think the same thing could happen to Zach Wilson. So I don't think Zach Wilson is a bad quarterback. I just think he's in a really bad situation. And so now, if he got traded to a better team, I'd probably have a different take. Mac Jones, on the other hand, jury's out for me with him. I would probably just hold. He's had a little bit of a pop in some of his stuff because of obviously he had the good game in the Brady homecoming and sort of held his own there. He's looked pretty decent in this game this last weekend. Uh, the, that Cowboys Patriots game was a fantastic one. And so I just, it, it kind of depends. I, if you can pick up some of his stuff on the cheap, I'd be a buyer, but I wouldn't pay up for any of his stuff just yet. And then there's another guy that nobody talks about. He's not playing right now because he's a backup for the New Orleans Saints and that's Ian Book. He's the quarterback came out of uh, uh, Notre Dame. And I've seen some bad reviews on him. So, you know, maybe he won't pan out to anything, but I have heard rumors that the Saints might be looking to trade him. If he got traded to a team and I'd like to see him play, I mean, maybe he's going to, you know, not make it, but he's one that I'd really like to see play. And, and, you know, if again, one that you could probably buy his stuff for next to nothing right now and could be an interesting speculation, but it may amount to nothing who knows, but. All right. Yeah. Let's do the 2020 class. Yeah. So on the 2020 class, obviously you've got another sort of four big guys there, Herbert Burrow, Tua and Hertz. Um, I was full disclosure buyer of Hertz before the season started. I would, I thought I was expecting big things from him with the Eagles. I, I would probably just be a hold. Now you look at his stuff. It's actually gone up quite a bit. The 2020 Panini prism silver PSA 10 card he's got is now last I saw it selling for around $1,100. That was up from like six to $800 earlier. So I'd probably just hold his stuff now, but I do like Hertz, you know, over the long haul there. Unpopular opinion alert here. I'd be a seller of Tua. I mean, I don't know. I say that maybe I'd be a hold now. I, I certainly would have been a seller of him at the beginning of the season and maybe up until a couple of weeks ago, his stuff has come down. The prices on his stuff declined. So example, his 2020 Panini Prism Silver PSA 10, now selling for around 500 bucks. That was earlier in the year, that was upwards of $2,000. I definitely would have been a seller at that price. At $500, I mean, maybe it makes some sense, but personally, I'm not going to go out there and do that. I just don't, I like Tua as a, you know, he seems like a really good kid. He seems like the kind of kid you want to root for. And I hope he does well. I hope I'm wrong. But I honestly feel like Jacoby Brissett is the better option for quarterback for the Dolphins. I'm not sure that two is going to get it done there. So now you can call me an idiot, whatever. That's fine. But I just, yeah, I, I would be a seller or at the very least, I would just hold to a stuff. I wouldn't be buying his stuff here. And then as far as Herbert and Burroughs concerned, I'm a seller of both of those guys. Again, not that I think that they're not good quarterbacks. I actually think they're both doing fantastic their play on the field's great. Burrow has made a lot of, you know, significant improvement this year over last. The connection with Jamar Chase is proving to be a good one for him. And Herbert following up his, you know, rookie season with what he's done so far this year is, is just unbelievable. I don't think anyone expected that. And so, but the reality of it is their cards have already, I think, reflecting their performance. I mean, if you look at their cards compared to, for example, Brady or to someone like Peyton Manning, I mean, those are guys that did it, or you know, Brady's still doing it. Peyton Manning did it for more than a decade, whereas Burrow and Herbert don't even have two years under their belt yet. And their card prices are already at levels that would suggest they're going to be among the all-time great quarterbacks. 
And, you know, if you look at Herbert, his 2020 Panini Prism Silver sells for around 4,000 bucks, which by the way, that's down from about 5,000 earlier in the year, but it's up from like 2,500 a couple of months ago. And then Burrow, you know, his, that same card for him sells for $2,200. That's down from about 4,000 earlier in the year, but still those are expensive cards. Maybe they get there. I just don't see the upside. I think it's already priced in. I'd rather invest in the rookie cards of guys like Peyton Manning, even, even old vintage stuff like Terry Bradshaw, Roger Staubach, uh, Dan Marino, John Elway. You can get their cards, relatively speaking. Um, there's a lot more value in those than, in my opinion, than there are in Herbert and, and Burrow. And they're going to have to produce at these levels for a long time in order for their cards to hold or that value or continue to go up. So. All right. What else we got? Oh, by the way, I would be careful since we've talked about Peyton Manning, you know, his rookie cards in the 1980 or excuse me, 1998 top set. I would be careful about buying that set. I bought a, a, a sealed set looking to pick up the Randy Moss and Peyton Manning rookie cards. It was a great set. The cards were nicely centered, looked to be in good condition. The problem was it was bricked. It wasn't stored properly. And so it was bricked. Bricking is a problem. Those cards in that set in particular are kind of prone to bricking. So got to be a little bit careful when you buy those. All right. I think that's it for those. That's it for the film study. So let's, what do we got next? Next on the docket is penalty box. This one, Brandon gets the privilege of doing this one today. You've got something you want to talk about overreactions. Yeah. I want to put the media in the penalty box today. Go for it. I'm just, I'm really tired. So I'll just tell a story. So I saw, um, it was like week two or week three, I think. Um, there's like a video I saw. And I didn't watch it. I just read the title. And it was basically just saying like, should we like rethink the uh, the 2021 QB draft class because their combined record was like one in 15 or something. I always think that's like the dumbest thing I've ever seen. And the media, they always do this whenever like yeah. we have like fresh quarterbacks, fresh draft classes, because they always come in the league. They always suck because they play for bad teams even if they show like a little bit of promise, like they're just ripped apart. And like, it's like, can we just like let these guys play? Like, come on, man. Like, come on, man. Well, I mean, I, yeah. man, I'm just, no, saying, I'm like, with you. I hear you. There's no patience every anymore. single year. And I guess I get it because like, I mean, that sells. And I guess if you want to look at it, a lot of the fans like to kind of overreact too. And so when you're in the media, you kind of want to, you know, reflect that and kind of stir the pot a little bit. But I mean, honestly, like it's just getting a little bit tiring at this point. Like you turn on, you know, your sports show or whatever, and there's there's talking about this, there's ripping into these guys, and you're just like, man, like I just want to turn it off. Yeah. I don't want to listen. I don't care. Cause like it's just dumb, man. Like most of these guys, like you just gotta let them develop. Well, like, and that's you look at like Peyton Manning. He was yeah. terrible his first year. Yeah. Got ripped well, apart and look where he ended up. Yeah. So like, come on. Yeah. So let's talk about that for a minute. So, yeah. So it is true. Like, so you look at Peyton Manning, his rookie season, the Colts went three and 13 through, I think it was 28 interceptions to either 24, or 26 touchdowns. So more interceptions and touchdowns definitely, you know, didn't have the greatest years. Then you even fast forward to someone like Mahomes guys, oftentimes mistakenly think Mahomes just jumped in his rookie year and started performing at the level he is. He didn't. He actually rode the bench his first year. He sat behind, I think it was Alex Smith, was the quarterback of the Chiefs that year. The first game he played in his rookie season was actually the last game of the season against my beloved Denver Broncos. But then Smith came back for, for the playoffs. And so it really wasn't until his second season that Mahomes kind of took over the reins and then became the, the play 
player that he is today. So it, it is rare that you see, I mean, Herbert right now, as an example, is the exception. And you've had some guys lately, like maybe Lamar Jackson or Kyler Murray, who kind of burst into the scene. But those really are the exceptions. Even, you know, even look at someone like Tom Brady. I mean, he, he sat behind Drew Bledsoe before ultimately given, given the opportunity to come in. So, yeah, you're right. I mean, there's a definitely lack of patience. And like, we can't call a guy a bust in his first year. Well, and you touched on it. Like These guys, just, if you get drafted in the top 10, it means you're going to a bad team. And so that's part of the problem, right? Because it means you probably don't have an offensive line that can protect you. And you probably don't have a bunch of skill players around you that you're going to, you know, that are going to be able to make plays. And so you go into a bad situation. You know, it makes me think now that you haven't seen this happen a lot of late, but back in the day, as they say, I think about a couple of guys. So I think Eli Manning, that guy got, got drafted by the San Diego Chargers. Now, at the time, San Diego hadn't done a whole lot of anything. He basically refused to go there. And so they ended up having to trade him to the Giants. And, of course, San Diego ended up getting Phillip Rivers. And the rest is history for both of those. Eli Manning went on to win a couple Super, couple Super Bowls. Phillip Rivers put together a good career in San Diego but never did win a Super Bowl. And then another guy that did the same thing was John Elway. So you go back to 1984, I think it was, when he was drafted. And he got drafted actually by the Colts and refused to play for them. I think that was the Baltimore Colts at the time. Refused to play for them. And he actually was good at baseball. So I think the Yankees had drafted him in baseball. So he basically told him he was going to go play baseball if they didn't trade him. And so they end up trading him to Denver and I don't even know who the Colts got in return, but I mean, the rest obviously is history there. So it makes you wonder if maybe some of these guys that are getting, you know, picked in the top 10 picks of the draft going to these bad teams. I mean, I'm not saying I would promote them to hold out because some guys don't like that either. But man, if you, if you want to start thinking about what's best for them, I mean, maybe they have much better careers and much more opportunities to succeed if they end up going to a better team. So I don't know. I'm not sure what the answer is, but yeah, I hear you. There's, there's not a lot of patience to let guys develop anymore. Yeah. I don't know. It's just really annoying, man, but I thought I would say that today, but I think, uh, I think that's all I got for that. So, all right. Well, that's a good one. Good one. All right. So let's go on. So the next thing we got planned is something we're going to call the two minute drill and we're going to move quickly through this. It's literally like a two minute drill. And if uh, we're going to just name some names in some different sports and then uh, talk about whether we would buy, sell, or hold the cards of those particular players. So, Brandon, let's get started. What do we got? Yeah, let's do baseball first. Okay. Uh, Frank Schwindel. Frank Schwindel. I think most people are probably right now saying who, but he is the first baseman or for the Cubs, replaced Rizzo when they traded him to the Yankees. He's an older guy at 29 years old. But he's an interesting story. I'd be a buyer of him. I really would be. I know that's probably crazy, but he doesn't have a lot of graded stuff. If anything, he's got a 2015 Bowman prospects card. That was his first Bowman card. His first tops rookie card is the 2020 tops update card. There's also a tops Chrome update card you can get on him, but he had a great season this year. I'd be a buyer of him. Okay. Bo Bichette. Yeah. Bo Bichette. We talked about him earlier. He got overshadowed by Vlad, but he put together a fantastic, season i don't think his cards are crazy expensive i'd be a buyer of him as well austin riley yeah we mentioned him earlier in the show now he's no longer he's getting a little more notoriety now because he's had a good playoff run here but he's the third baseman for the braves and i like him a lot i would absolutely be a buyer of austin riley 
And that's, and maybe that's just because he was on my fantasy baseball team this year and he helped me win the championship. So, all right. Championship. Uh, Eloy Jimenez. (laughs) Uh, Yeah. So I'd be a hold, you know, actually when, when we first were putting this together, I was going to say, I'd probably be a hold of him, but I might be a buy on him. His stuff has gotten, it got a little pricey for a while. It's come back down. And so his pro uni rookie stuff, which is 2019 tops probably has some value and believe it or not, his first card is actually 2014 Bowman draft pick. But generally speaking, his cards have come down. He hasn't produced a lot of late, didn't produce in the playoffs the way it was expected. But given the price of his cards, I think you could take a flyer on him and maybe buy. But if there was a bump or he got a big pop in the cards, I might sell at that point. But again, that's if you're a flipper. If you're not into it from the flipping perspective, I probably wouldn't be buying him um, unless you want to hold him for like your personal collection. All right, moving on to football, uh, Javante Williams. Yeah, so here's a homer alert. Um, Javante Williams running back with the Denver Broncos. He's a rookie. I absolutely would buy his. I think this kid's got a ton of potential. I know it's a running back. It's not a quarterback. Doesn't necessarily carry the same cash or value in the hobby, but I'd be a buyer. And and for what it's worth, just a note here. So I did, I participated in a break. So a little shout out to, uh, it was Geo Breaks that we did. And I mean, you know, again, we're not taking any advertising or sponsorship there. So that's just, but I participated in a break. I think it was the Origins break and uh, a box break, or maybe it was a case. Anyway, long story short, I had, it was a random team. I got the Bengals, the guy that got the Broncos, put them out for trade and stupid me didn't take him up on that. I don't know if he would have accepted anyway, but I didn't take him up on that. And then ended up pulling two, not one, but two Javante Williams RPAs. And so I was kicking myself on that one, but all right, what else? Uh, Derrick Henry. Yeah. So I think Derrick Henry's a buy another one. I think he is one of the guys that is severely undervalued in the hobby. Now he's starting to gain a little more attention given the, the season, these, the early, you know, success he's had this season, obviously last year was an unbelievable year, 2000 yard season. But I think this guy has long-term investment potential. You think about, he may very well be the first running back to ever put together back-to-back 2,000-yard seasons. Now, who knows? Maybe he doesn't do it. I don't want to jinx him, so knock on wood. But I do think he's undervalued. I do own some of his stuff. I'm going to continue to hang on to it. And if you don't own him, I would be a buyer. All right, Jamar Chase. Yeah, so we mentioned earlier when we were talking about Burrow, the, obviously the you know reuniting those two, that connection between Burrow and Chase – has worked out nicely. So assuming you can pick up the card that you're after for not a crazy high price, I'd be a buyer, but I wouldn't necessarily pay out for his stuff. All right, moving on to basketball, Anthony Edwards. Yeah. So I'd be a buyer of him now. Also another alert here. I picked up one of, I was able to get one of his cards in a break. It was another break by geo breaks, by the way. And I got a cracked ice, I think numbered to 25. I want to say it was a Chronicles um, box. But anyway, I plan to send that in to get graded. I like him a lot. I would be a buyer of his stuff. All right. Kevin Porter Jr. Yeah. So I'm relying on you on this one. You, you kind of turned me on to him. I'd be a buyer given some of the things you told me about him. This kid put up what 50 points last year against the bucks yep. and win. Yeah. And he's very, he's very underrated. I think. Yeah. Um, I think he's going to grow a lot. It's going. Is he the, I, is he the brother of Michael year? Porter Jr.? I have no idea. All right. Yeah. We gotta check sure. that. But um. Yeah, he's very underrated. He's moving into the starting role now that they're going to move John Wall. So his usage rate is going to be high. Um, he's next to Jalen Green. He's going to develop. He's going to be pretty good, I think. I think he's an interesting one. I think he's a sleeper. I'd definitely he's be definitely a buyer. a sleeper. Yeah. All right, moving on to Colin Sexton. So his stuff's been coming down over the last several months. If it continues to do that, I'd be a buyer. But again, I wouldn't necessarily pay up. 
Nikola Jokic. Yeah, so I'm a hold on him. Now, I say that if you can find a good price on something, maybe you go ahead and buy. The reality of it is a lot of his stuff is very expensive. Example, look at his 2015 Silver Prism PSA 10. Last I saw that selling for between three to $4,000. Honestly, at that price, I'd be a seller. But I think not not anything against him as a player. I think he's fantastic. I just think that's already priced in. But if you can find if you like him and you, you can find something else that's not quite that pricey, then, you know, maybe it's a hold. All right. And that, ladies and gentlemen, is the end of the two minute drill. Awesome. All right. So next up, we only have a couple more segments here we're going to do before we wrap up the show. So the next one that we talked earlier is the coach's corner. A little bit of an educational segment here today. We thought we would touch on acronyms. We love our acronyms, I think, in just about every industry. And in fact, I think in this one, it's maybe a requirement if you want to become a grading company that your name has to be something that can be used as a three-letter acronym. And so many of us take for granted, I think, that a lot of the acronyms used and that everyone just knows what we're talking about when we throw them around. But oftentimes that's not the case. So we wanted to touch on a few of the more common ones that people are going to see. So what do we got? All right, let's start with NFT and NFS. Yeah, these so you'll see these in social media posts or other where other places where people are trying to sell cards or they're posting pictures of their cards and they'll say NFT just means not for trade or NFS means not for sale. And now NFT, by the way, could also mean a non-fungible token. Uh, that's a thing now too. But generally speaking, when you see them with you know cards being posted, it's not for trade and not for sale. All right, what about BIN, BO, or OBO? Yeah, so I'm sure there's a few that chuckled when we said BO, but uh, BIN is just the buy it now price. So you see that in eBay or other types of marketplaces. And then BO or OBO is just best offer or best offer. And you see, again, see that when people are selling their cards in marketplaces. All right. What are SP and SSP? Yeah, those are just acronyms and stand for short print and super short print. So those are just in, in, a, in a set of cards. There are certain ones, they might be a high number series or an ins or whatever it might be. They just have a lower print run than other cards in the set. So they tend to be more valuable in that regard as well. All right. So let's just do a few more. Uh, particularly in social media groups, the use of OP, PC, or LCS. Yeah, so OP in a social media setting is just referring to the original poster. You'll see guys say, oh, the OP said this or meant that or whatever. They're just referring to the original poster. And then PC just stands for personal collection. LCS is just your local card store or local card shop. All right, that's probably enough for now. Let's move on. We've, we've run a little bit long, but if you see any acronyms that you're not sure what they mean, just let us know. We're going to have on our website, which again is www.615collector.com, an educational page. We'll provide information on a variety of different topics, but one of the things you'll see there is a sort of dictionary of acronyms, so check that out. Like I said, don't find what you're looking for. Let us know. We'll get it added to the list. Last topic before we wrap up the show here, I think, is the calendar check. Brandon, what do we got? So obviously the NFL season is underway, as are the MLB playoffs. The hockey regular season puck dropped last week. That was Tuesday, October 12th. And the NBA season is tipping off tonight. And as of this time, it's uh, October 19th. So that'll be going, that'll have tipped off by the time this drops. Yep. All right. We're not going to cover everything during the podcast. That take too much time. We're going to highlight a few things, some of the big stuff coming up. We'll have a calendar on our website as well. Again, www.615collector.com. Check that out. You can find more about what's happening each week from card shows to card releases, various auctions that might be underway, all that kind of stuff. Lots of good stuff. Check it out. All right. So let's talk card releases. 
Panini, there's some releases that have already occurred, like Black Basketball dropped earlier last week. Uh, Panini National Treasures Collegiate Football, I think, dropped at least first off the line anyway, was was last week in Dutch auction format. Uh, Mosaic Baseball, first off the line, dropped. When was that? Was that that was a couple of days ago now? I'm trying to remember the date we're recording this, but and that was again first off the line, so in Dutch auction format. Um, the regular hobby, non first off the line box of that will drop on the 20th of October, which I believe is tomorrow. The Panini Don Ross Optic Complete NBA set is already come and gone. It's expensive. That one's $3,000. A couple of ones coming up. Panini has the Recon Basketball. First off the line hits October 21st in Dutch auction format. There's 10 packs in there, six cards per pack. You get a couple of autos, 20 inserts or parallels. The interesting thing about that one is it is the brand debut, at least as a standalone. So it was in Chronicles in the past, but as a standalone, this is the debut. So from that perspective, I think it actually might be worth an investment in wax. And then they have Chronicles baseball first off the line coming next week on the 27th of October. Remember for Panini, baseball is unlicensed. So it'll be interesting to see how that goes. As of the recording of the show, Panini still had some basketball product available. They had Select, they had Chronicle Draft Picks available on basketball. They also had Spectra available for baseball. So if you're looking for some wax, check those out, although I happen to think they're a little on the pricey side, which is likely why they're still available. Tops for its part, I think a, one of the cool you know sets they do or releases they do is the RIP Baseball. That was earlier, about a week or two ago. Um, but if that's one you can pick up from your local card shop or online store, I would I would do that one. It's relatively inexpensive. It's a fun rip. And then they sold out quickly. There's been a lot of talk about the Bowman Chrome and Gold Label and so forth. They sold out quickly. A lot of that stuff. Top still to, another. If you want to do a fun rip that's relatively inexpensive, Top still has Allen and Gintner baseball hobby boxes available on their website. I think it's 150 bucks for the hobby box. That's a fun rip if you want to do that. On the hockey side, uh, Upper Deck has some what I think is also a fun rip, and it's it's inexpensive. It's a Skybox Metal Universe cards in blaster form on Upper Deck. You can get those for thirty bucks. So those are great gift ideas too with Christmas coming up. If you want an inexpensive gift to pass along, and then something that really haven't done before, but I think I might give it a shot this year because it looks kind of interesting. A lot of guys are probably going to tune out for me even saying this, but that's the Onyx Vintage Basketball. It's relatively inexpensive. You're not going to get monster prices. It's unlicensed, but I'm thinking it looks interesting. Cards look interesting. I think it might be a bit of a fun rip, so I might try that one out this year. Uh, as we stated earlier, PWCC restarted their monthly auction in October, uh, which went live October 7th, and the end dates for that are going to vary toward the end of the month. Yeah, and then we think there's a couple of cool drops coming on the fractional platform. So on collectible, they're dropping the final regular season game ball for basketball for Kareem Abdul-Jabbar's record-breaking career. As you might know, he holds the record for most points scored. I think it's 38,387 total points, if I'm not mistaken, in his career. And so they're going to be dropping that. And then they also recently dropped a Josh Gibson and Satchel Page 2003 SP Legendary Cuts cards, both autographed. That one dropped on the 14th. That was one, by the way, I did participate in. I think that was a cool drop and I think it was a good value. They've got a couple of other interesting ones coming up that I might participate in, depending where the value is on them. One is they've got a National Treasures 
basketball cases. I think it's a collection of three of them. And then the other is they've got a pair of BGS 10 graded cards, both rookies, one of Kobe Bryant, the other of LeBron James. So depending where they end up putting the value on both of those, I might participate on those. I think those look pretty cool. As for card shows, there are several shows happening around the country in October and November. The Chantilly show is a big one in Virginia, and that's happening October 22nd through 24th. They have lots of big names lined up. Many Steelers, Champ Bailey, Alex English, Eric Dickerson, Marshall Falk, Ray Lewis, etc. And you can get more info on that at csashows.com. Yeah. On that note, we actually just finished the Music City Card Show here in Nashville. It was a few couple weeks back and it was a nice showing. There were several big names there. We got to meet Johnny Bench, Wade Boggs, Dr. K, Reggie Jackson, Mr. October himself, Pete Rose, Earl Campbell. Lawrence Taylor was pretty much as advertised. He was fun. Ricky Henderson was there as well. It was a good show. We talked to several of the dealers, said activity was good at the show. So it was good to see. It looks like the hobby continues to be healthy from that perspective. So, all right, that's it for now. As we said, you can check out our website for more calendar information and what's happening. We'll be specifically noting some of the key auctions that are going on out there, some of the cards that we're watching in those auctions and when those end. So check that out at www.615collector.com. All right. So I think that's it. That's the show. We have one more piece of business to do before we wrap up here. And that is the giveaway. We said we were going to give away some cards to a lucky listener of the show. So we will do that now, or we will at least tell you how you can enter to, to potentially win those cards. So it's, we're going to give you a code word. That code word is going to be Yogi. The code word is Yogi. So just email us at the 615 collector at gmail.com or message us on any of our social media platforms. Um, we're on Facebook, we're on Instagram, Twitter, and also have a YouTube channel. I don't think we've really done much content on the YouTube channel, if anything yet, but we do, we have put some stuff out there on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. So follow us you got to follow us on those and message us with that code, and then we will enter you into the contest. We are randomly going to select one winner who will receive a complete box set of, and we're going to give away what's the 1982 Tops Kmart 20th Anniversary Baseball MVP Collector Series. Now, some people may scoff at that, but I think it's actually kind of a cool little set. It's not uh, of, of huge value per se, but it's iconic, right? It's Tops. It's Kmart, which is an iconic retail brand. It's baseball and it's the MVP collector set. So there's 44 cards in the set. And you got, if you got kids that are looking for, you know, to get some, own some relatively inexpensive cards of big names like Hank Aaron or Mickey Mantle, Pete Rose, Willie Mays, Sandy Koufax, Roberto Clemente, Bob Gibson, you know, all of those big names, they're all in this set. And so, uh, like I said, it's not hugely valuable, but there are some pretty cool cards in there. So good luck to everyone that enters the contest. We're going to announce the winner on that in, on our social media, and we'll also announce it on our next podcast. And by the way, one other thing I'll note on those, those are cool cards to take with you to a card show. If any of those guys are going to be signing things at a card show, you can get some of those cards autographed, which will greatly increase their value as well, not only financially, but probably sentimentally to you in your personal collection. So, all right. I think that's it. We covered everything. So check us out on social media. Like we said, like and follow our pages, our channels, all that good stuff. Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, YouTube. Check out our website, www.615collector.com. We've got some good content on there, lots of plans to add to it. In fact, while you're there, 
please subscribe to our blog. We've got a nice piece on the blog right now about the history of the sports card industry. We hope you'll find that interesting. So check it out. Let us know what you think. And all right, that's a wrap. I think we put our first show in the books. I know, apologies, we ran a little bit longer than we intend to do, and then we will in our future shows, because we had a lot to try to cover today since it was our first one. But uh, overall, I thought it was fun. Hope you enjoyed it. Brandon, what'd you think? Yeah, I thought it was cool. I had a good time. Yeah. Yeah, I hope our listeners did too. Hope you all enjoyed it. Let us know if you've got any suggestions to improve the show, and we will see you next time here on The 615 Collector.